The scripture that was read came from 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter, and the reading was from the 15th through to the 22nd verses. But allow me to lift up just the 15th verse as well as the 22nd verse as emphasis for this message. The 15th verse read, Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him. And as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. The 22nd verse reads, These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. The Philistine army were among Israel's most annoying and fiercest enemies back in ancient Palestine, and they were a constant threat to the armies of the living God. Within this army were the offspring between fallen angels and mortal women, who were men of extraordinary size and ability, mighty men of old and renowned, according to Genesis 6 in the fourth verse and Jude verse 6. These men made the Philistine army a literal and lethal force to be reckoned with. And with their military might and prowess, they were an intimidating presence that drove fear and dread across the land. These Philistines with their giants were a mighty and a formidable foe. But while they may cause fear and dread, and while their military might seemed insurmountable, and while they caused despair because of their size, their guns, their money, and their supreme court, they became a defeated foe whenever they came up against the righteousness of the armies of the living God. You see, while they were giants, large and fearful, David did not fight them alone. And so in the context of our current political climate and with this text as a backdrop, I'll be speaking a message titled quite simply, A Few Good Men. And my hope is that you will be able to handle the truth. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, these are indeed challenging and unprecedented times. But Lord, you have not left us alone, for we never fought any battle by ourselves. And Lord, we never fought any battle without our King. And so, Father, we thank you now, Lord, for this opportunity to preach a word in season that those, Lord, who are held and led by your Spirit might be moved in a way that allows illumination and revelation to enter their minds, that they may see clearly the events of the day as they unfold in the fullness of time. Bless now this word and this time, we pray, for we give it all unto you in Jesus' holy name. And the church all over the world, we say amen, amen, and amen. Our country, these United States, is at a crossroads as we stand on the verge of another historic presidential election. While it is safe to say that every election is consequential, it goes without say that not only is this election consequential, but it also has implications on the soul of this 
nation. And my brothers and my sisters, I do not say that lightly. This election will be about where our nation stands on the idea of decency, compassion, kindness, responsibility, and accountability. It will be a repudiation of bullying, indecency, callous and abusive language, corruption, chronic cronyism, and nepotism. It will be about looking out for the least of these among us, and it's definitely a repudiation of our systemic racism that is alive and well throughout all areas and facets of this nation. Now, to my knowledge, it has not been since the Civil War was fought in the 1800s that this experiment in democracy, known as the United States of America, has been so divided. It is further to my knowledge that the divisions we are seeing today go well beyond merely Democrats or Republicans, liberals or conservatives, black or white. But I reflect and I think and I submit to you that they are more about the divisions between good and evil, light and darkness. My brothers and my sisters, let me not mince my words. This is about not just the soul of this nation, but this is about the spiritual battle between good and evil. The gap is just that wide. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that voting for one candidate over another is going to guarantee that we're able to restore our basic sense of decency in American society. But I am saying that I have seen how bad the decay has been over the past four years, and I don't want to imagine more of the same. Nothing happens by accident in this world, and I have said it before, and I will say it again. In 2016, at the end of the election, I felt then in my spirit that God might have given this nation over to a reprobate mind. And I say it without fear of contradiction. That's how I felt then, and I have seen nothing contrary to that belief. So this election is about the soul of this nation and whether or not the United States of America has any right or claim to any moral leadership in the world. It is essentially a battle between good and evil. And in the context of this message, it is once again Israel facing the giants of the Philistine army. And not only is this a quintessential battle between the people of God and the zeitgeist or the spirit of this age, it is also a question of who will stand up and who will stand in the gap and defend this nation. And we, my brothers and sisters, are quite simply looking for a few good men. Our text tells us in verse 15 that the Philistines were at war again with Israel, and that David had gone down with his men to fight against them. And as they fought against the Philistines, hear the text, it says, David became weary. This brings me to my first point, and that is fighting giants constantly will wear you down. I don't know about you, but every morning I'm waking up and it seems like I'm just looking to see what did he tweet today. It's exhausting. Fighting giants is wearying. Now, to be clear, David was a warrior king. But no matter how formidable his fighting skill, he was still human. 
and constantly fighting these giants was taking its toll on him. And David, quite simply, like many of us we are feeling today, got really tired and weary. Like David, we all face giants throughout our entire lives. And by giants, I am speaking of what seems to be insurmountable, these problems and these issues. And as often as we conquer one, they only seem to grow stronger and stronger with the passing of time. I hope you're hearing me in your spirits. It could be a giant of fear, or it might be a giant of some type of personal sin that you fall into again and again. It might be the sin of pride, or envy, or gluttony, or lust, or something else. In a related way, your giant might be one of addiction, something that has, grip, has a grip on your life. Someone may have even slandered your good name, or even filed a lawsuit against you. Maybe there is even a threat against your own life. I'm talking about giants. Maybe it might be a different giant altogether, like an unbelieving spouse or a prodigal child. You have prayed for them. You have asked the Lord to reach them, yet they seem to become more hardened in sin as the years pass by. You find yourself wondering, are we ever going to come out of this? Well, the text reads, we know that this is not the first time that David faced giants. David was only about 12 years old when he slew Goliath, so he had some experience dealing with giants. But while he had many successes in the past, David is now older and still facing giants. So not because you successfully faced a giant in your past does it mean that you still don't have more giants to face. Just live long enough. So my simple point is that giants are real. And no matter how young or, or how old you are, if you are alive and tuned in to this message, you are destined to face giants all through your earthly life, and they will eventually wear you down. Secondly, not every giant is the same. The text tells us that David and his men faced four giants, and that these four were descendants of the giant. Look with me again. Then, in verse 16, then Ishbi Benab, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then verse 18, now it came about after this that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai, the Hushite, struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giants. Then verse 19, there was war with the Philistines again at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of Jer-Oregim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Then finally, verse 20, there was war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also had been born to the giant. These were all sons of the giant. And perhaps might have been Goliath's four brothers, which may explain why David took five 
smooth stones when he first went up against that giant. For some of us who have lived long enough and have faced some difficult giants and have fought some tough battles with them, we sometimes can be led to believe that because we got through this one, that should be the end of it. But that's almost never the case. My brothers and my sisters, hear my words. The truth is, while that particular giant may not return, there will always likely be others that we have to face. And we have to take every giant seriously because their goal and their aim is to do nothing more than to come, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The truth of the matter is, giants mean you no good. And you need to face them no matter what. They are. All our lives we've battled giants like temptation. We may in midlife battle a new one called discouragement. And then later on in our older years, we may be battling the giant of bitterness and loneliness. Or we may face the soul-crushing depression giant that comes along whenever there might be marital breakup or the death of a loved one or the self-destructive behavior of our children. My brothers and my sisters, I am talking to you about giants. They are real. And whether or not they wear you down, even in your weariness, you still have to face more. This is the bane of the Christian life. We face giants at every turn, every nook and cranny, and they come out whenever you are most tired. We may face the terror of life-threatening illnesses, or as is certainly possible in today's economy, the loss of our jobs and the evaporation of all of our savings that we expected to carry us through our latter years, all perhaps due to this COVID pandemic. I don't know, but what I'm talking to you about is that what you are experiencing and what you are fighting and what is pressuring you is nothing more than just another giant in your life. Whenever these giants come, they're commonly associated with the different phases of our lives and we are tired and we are weary from constantly fighting. And we need to know though, that while all giants may be related, they are not all the same. So my point is, all giants are not the same. And, and, and not because you killed one does it mean that there won't be more that rise up to try and destroy you. Quite simply, yesterday's victories will not kill today's giants. So finally, and my third and final point, is a little more encouraging. Because the truth of the matter is, all giants must fall. All giants must fall. It is always a good exercise to look at the names that are used in Scripture, for they often are used to help us understand the character of the individuals they are describing. In verse 16, the first giant that came to kill David, his name was Ishbi Benab. This name literally means pride. But Ishbi Benab was slain by the first good man. This first good man by the name of Abishai, the son of Zariah. The name Abishai means gift of Jehovah, and the name Zariah means pain or tribulation of the Lord. Therefore, taking together Abishai, Abishai, the son of Zariah, is humility. So the first battle over the first giant pride was won by a good man called humility. 
In verse 18, the second giant that came to kill David, his name was Saph. This name literally means, hear this, hypocrisy. But Saph was slain by the second good man named Sibekai, the Hushite. And the name Sibekai means Jehovah's intervention. And since God's intervention is always to bring truth to any situation, Sibekai, the Hushite, is honesty and sincerity. So the second battle over the second giant hypocrisy was won by the good man called sincerity. In verse 19, the third giant that came to kill David was named Lami. Now in your text it says Goliath, but you need to read more and study more. It really meant Lami, which names means intimidation. But Lami was slain by the third good man named Elhanan, the son of Jair Oregon. The name Elhanan means Jehovah's mercy. Therefore, Elhanan, the son of Jair Oregon, is mercy. So the third battle over the third giant intimidation was won by mercy. I hope you all are getting this in your spirits. And finally, in verse 20, the fourth giant, the fourth giant that came to kill David was unnamed. This giant was not known by his name, but by his issues. For the text tells us that he grasped with six fingers and he had six toes. He was abnormal, making no sense. Therefore, this giant we understand to be greed. It goes after everything. Unlike pride and hypocrisy and intimidation, greed doesn't have a target for its war. Greed goes after everything, whether it's money or house, food, and career, political power, or whatever. Greed grabs at everything. Greed knows no bounds. And that's why this is the unnamed giant. But the unnamed giant, he fell by the fate of all the other three before him. He was slain by the fourth good man called Jonathan, son of Shimei. The name Jonathan means Jehovah gives. Therefore, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, is giving. So the fourth battle over the fourth giant greed was won by giving. The fourth good man. All these giants were slain by David's men when he was tired of fighting. David had a few good men around him. But now, church, look with me at what the text says. In verse 22, it says these four were born to the giant in Gath and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. All four of these giants, we are told, are all sons born to the giant, the main giant in Gath. And they were perhaps Goliath's four brothers. But if we consider that the main giant in Gath is the thing called sin, then we can see that pride, hypocrisy, intimidation, and greed are all descendants of the same evil called sin. And as we can see from our text, David could not fight them all by himself. David needed a few good men. In each of these cases, David was weary. And his men would step in to help him fight the giants. I want you to hear me now, church, in your spirits. But while the men fought the giants on David's behalf, 
they were not fighting the giants for David. They were fighting the giants for the nation Israel. They were fighting for their people. My brothers and my sisters, all these good men were fighting for the soul of their nation. Not only were they fighting against the giant of pride, of thinking that they knew more than the generals or that they're smarter than the scientists of their day or that they can just wish away any virus and it would disappear. Not only were they fighting against the giant of hypocrisy, of saying that nine months was too close to an election to approve a Supreme Court nominee under a prior administration, yet make an approval under their administration while an election is in progress and the people are voting. Not only were they fighting against the giant of intimidation when armed militia would surround a state house and plan to kidnap and kill a sitting governor. Not only were they fighting against the giant of greed who would only pay $750 in taxes yet be forgiven debts of more than $300 million. Charge the federal government to stay at your hotels and properties and withhold paying contractors that work on your properties to save money. Not only were they fighting all these giants, but they were also fighting against racist, tiki torch carrying, white supremacist, evangelical church people who appear to have a form of godliness but couldn't be any further from the truth of God. I am not sparing or mincing my words. These are the giants that David was fighting and the same giants that you and I are fighting today. But God has not changed. And as in the time of David, through to the time of Jesus and into our present day, God still cares for the poor and the marginalized in our society. God still cares for the widows and the orphans, the rejected and the prisoner, the slave to enormous student debt and other forms of debt. God still cares about the brokenhearted and the sick. And yes, God still cares for you. So the question I ask today is simply this. Are you weary and tired of fighting all your giants yet? Is your current strategy working? Are you winning yet? Well, if not, then perhaps like David, you need a few good men fighting on your behalf. The battle between good and evil is not over. And we know that God will give us the victory. The church is God's instrument in this world to help to support all of those who will call on the name of Jesus during these perilous and difficult times. And as we are told in the book of Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, allow me to read the ninth through the twelfth verses. Here is what it says. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Hallelujah. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. 
for he hath not another to help him up again. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. So, so, so my brothers and my sisters, I don't know what you've been hearing in this message. But if you are having some difficulty fighting the giants in your life, whatever they may be, maybe, just maybe, you could use some help. Maybe you could use a few good men. And if that sounds like you, first, you got to get into the Lord's army. You got to get into the Lord's army where, where Jesus is your commander in chief. He has to be your commander in chief no matter who's in the White House. And if Jesus becomes your commander in chief, then here is my pledge to you. And I stand firmly on the authority of the book of the Bible. No other authority, but on the authority of the Bible. I pledge to you that if Jesus becomes your commander in chief today, then we as the church, the army of the living God, we will fight for you. And we have weapons that are far more effective for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. When we pray, we believe that we set in motion the hosts of heaven on your behalf. But, but, you need to be on our side. And you need to be a part of the army of the living God. And so, my brothers and my sisters, to make it plain, if you are in the Lord's army and Jesus is your commander-in-chief, then you not only have a few good men, but you've got quite a few good men and women that will pray for you. May the Lord richly, richly bless you today, my beloved.